turn. Turn to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to start at verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a good point, uh, Lucy. Pastor Steve said 13 people turned the world upside down. And, that, and that's what happened when you read throughout the, the New Testament. There's actually a scripture. That says, who, who are these guys that turned the whole world upside down? And it was two of them. So don't underestimate that. I love what that scripture says in, in, in verse 25 when it says, Who by worrying can add a single hour? So you could work, you could sit in a room and you could you could panic and, and shake back and forth and be like, We're gonna run out of food, we're gonna run out of food. And what what is it gonna do for you? You know what it's gonna do? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> It's going to help nothing. You know what? It's going to end up having a negative effect on you. That you're constantly going to be in worry. Your thoughts are going to plague you. You're going to be thinking negative stuff. You're going to go to all the worst case scenarios, which is kind of like um, maybe sort of like a human nature thing where we're always assuming the worst. Oh, this is going to happen, right? And what is Jesus saying? Um, why do you worry? You, you, by worrying, what is it going to do? It doesn't do anything. Verse 27, consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Do not worry about it. I mean, okay, verse 29 says it all, doesn't it? Do not worry. I like that, Lucy. I think that was, was that Joyce Meyer who said that quote? Worry is like sitting on a rocking chair and not going anywhere. You're moving, you're doing something, but you're not going anywhere. Um, which is very true. And I happen to like rocking chairs. I don't have one, but I might get one someday. Don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Steph, I don't know. Drink like whatever non-vegan stuff you could get. Um, you know the note that is attached to this uh, this scripture. I'm gonna I'm gonna continue reading the rest of it, but it says, "Let the seeking of necessities be secondary." Corey Tenboom said that. It's possible. It's possible. I try to always like. I, I really want to make sure that I quote people. If they said something, I don't want it to seem like I made it up. So I'm trying. Somebody said it. Um, let the seeking of necessities be secondary. Put your energy in seeking God and his righteousness. Let me keep reading. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. I'm going to go to the, a similar scripture found in Matthew chapter 6. Starting at verse 31, 
basically Jesus saying, saying essentially the same thing. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, the, the note attached to that scripture says the sinner makes his body his God. And remember the scripture, what I, what I read last week about the lust of, of, of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, where everything is focused around uh, um, our, 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 um, our human nature and our flesh nature. And so someone like, like, the, like the scripture says, the pagans run after those things that that's, it's like, that's all they know. Um, what are they going to eat? What are they going to wear? That's like, it, it, it becomes an obsession with them. But what Jesus is saying twice in the book of Matthew, and then again, in the book of Luke is letting, you know, God knows you need that. You think that God knows that you don't need to, that you need to eat. You think that God's like, Oh, they're hungry. Oh, I, I didn't realize. Yeah. Um, I should probably do something about, it. of course he knows what you need. He's well aware of what you need. So what, so what we have to do here, um, you know, verse 34, the, the note attached to that says, listen to this thoughtful preparation for the future is not rebuked, but worrying about it is condemned. So, so we have to kind of have that balance to, you know, it's okay to prepare for things. It's okay to, to, to say, um, you know, okay, I, I obviously should be, should be prepared. I'm not going to have like nothing or I'm not going to have like, like no food in the fridge. And then, you know, I'm just going to assume that it's going to magically appear in my fridge. That's not rebuked, not, not necessarily encouraged, but it's not rebuked, but worrying about it is condemned. The moment that worry starts to enter into the equation that now you find yourself like obsessing over it, like, like the pagans do. You know, and their whole life is driven by, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? And so Jesus is letting us know something important. That's what the pagans do. That's not what you should be doing. So if you find yourself having one of those moments and you're saying, oof, um, you know, what, what am I going to do? What if I run out of food? You should Im immediately stop that, that, that thought and say, hey, wait a minute. And, and by the way, this is, this is what I always do. If a thought comes into my head that I know is contrary to the scripture, I immediately find the correct thing and correct myself with it. Right? So for example, um, you know, it, it, the food shortage thing, which, which is, it's a thing because they're talking about it because they're planning for it to happen. Um, like I said, like I said earlier, doesn't mean that it will. Um, and so, I get that thought that comes in. I, re I read that on Twitter and then I start to think, oh, um, like what if, what if there's like no more food? And then to me, I'm like, no, 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 wait a minute. What does the scripture say? The scripture says, do not worry about what you will eat or drink. That's what the pagans do. You, on the other hand, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. You know, Philippians 4:19 says, and my God, shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory all my needs he knows so jesus said it the father knows what you need and then it's it's and then paul reminds us in in philippians 4 19 
God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. You know, like I said, I've been talking about covenant for the past month and reminding you, remember, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Remember who you're in covenant with. You don't, you, you, we don't have the same things that, that the world has when they, they rely on either themselves or they rely on handouts for the government or they rely on other people to help them or they're, you know, and, and I can see that. Listen, and I'm going to say this might ruffle a little feathers, but whatever. Th there's this guy, um, his name's Elon Musk and he was buying, he's, he's, he bought like part of Twitter. Okay. So, so anyways, to make a long story short, Twitter, it like censors people. I got, I actually lost my Twitter account because of that. Um, Twitter censors people. And so everyone was like, oh, now that he bought some of it now, you know, we're not going to have to be censored anymore. And it's like, it, it, it was such a huge deal. And I'm like, eh, I don't, I don't have that. That guy's not my savior. I don't trust them anyways. I don't trust a lot of people except the Lord. Um, you know, and it's like, as soon as anything like that happens, people flock to it. Oh, now everything's going to be okay because this guy's doing something or, or even here in Canada, like the guy running for the conservative party. Don't trust him either, but oh, he's going to save us. Now everything's going to be okay because all of their trust is in, is in man. Or you see that the flip side, people who trust in themselves and their ability to create stuff and their ability to do everything, you know, but that's not as children of God. That's not ever how we should operate. Because if the Bible's telling us, don't worry about those things. Don't chase after those things. Don't worry. Don't, don't obsess yourself with those things. Understand that, that God shall supply all your needs. You know, and that's why I, I, I can't, I kind of like, especially the past couple of years, like I, I I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll help you out in this. I, I have an understanding of the scriptures in that, like I said, if I'm thinking something and that's not right, I immediately have a scripture ready for it, right? A little bit of fear comes in, boom, I, I, I recite out loud a scripture about fear. Um, something about worry, I immediately say out loud a, a scripture regarding worry. And so that's how you combat those thoughts that shouldn't be there. Those thoughts that are creeping in, that are going contrary to the word and that are causing problems for you in your life. And I'm going to, I want to read a story from the old Testament tonight. And, um, and this is, this is a great story. I've never, I've never, uh, uh taught on it before, but, but it's a really good one. Um, that's right. That's a good point. My auntie Julia says, because people have no hope. So they latch on to everything that looks like it may be the answer and it never is the answer. And, 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 and it's so obvious. It's like people, you could tell they're desperate for, for a savior. They're desperate for someone that they can, they can cling to. There's, and, and you know what? Um, you know that a lot of the uh, uh, people who criticize, let's say Christianity specifically and saying, oh, it's just a crutch. Uh, it's, it's for weak-minded people to, uh, you know, because it, it, and it's like, that's what literally what, what the world thinks it is. But it's quite the, the opposite of that. It takes faith to believe that. It's not a crutch for weak-minded people. You cannot, listen to me, you cannot be weak-minded and have faith at the same time because it take, it's not easy to have faith in the midst of difficult circumstances. You have to be strong. 
Oh, Auntie Joe, you're 100% right. That's why the Antichrist will be able to have the world follow him. Because people, for whatever's going to be going on at that point, people are going to be desperate uh, for, for somebody to save them, for someone to swoop in and rescue them. Why do you think superhero movies are so popular? Everybody loves, gravitates towards uh, 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 the one who's going to save the world. The world is, is being run, run over by the bad guy. The good guy is going to come right in and save it. The good guy already did that. 2,000 years ago on the cross, and we're going to celebrate this, this coming weekend. Be there for Easter. Shameless plug again. That already happened. There's already been a savior. You don't have to look for one. He's already come. He died and rose again. And so it takes it takes strength to have faith because it's it's it you know in the face of, of difficulty, you think that a weak-minded person is gonna be able to 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 have that confidence? No, I don't think so. So sorry. Uh, no offense to those people who think that, but Christianity is anything but a crutch for the weak-minded. It's for the strong. <laughs> it's for the strong, let me tell you. Because it's, it's easy to lose your faith. Very easy to lose your faith. When, 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 I mean, what happened when Peter was walking on water? He was all like, yeah, I could do this. He just looks and he's like, oh, there's like a huge storm. And he begins to sink. And Jesus is like, Peter, seriously? Why did you, you have little faith? And he says the same thing in the teaching about, uh, um, in Luke about, about seeking first the kingdom. Oh, you of little faith. Why do you worry about that? So it takes, a, you know, faith is, is something that's available for all of us to have. So don't, don't be, you know, don't fall into that, that wrong understanding that, oh, it's, it's for like, you know, old people and weak people who just like need something to make them feel better, you know, about what's going on in the world. No, it is powerful. It is, it is a powerful truth and powerful promises that we have our faith p placed on. Make no mistake. So let's go to Second Chronicles. And I have three points. I'm going with the points. Crisis of faith. I don't know if I've ever heard of that. Maybe, um, maybe I have. I'm not sure. But it looks like something interesting, Mary Ellen. Because you always know all the interesting things. Um, I have three points about seeking the kingdom because sometimes we're like well how do we seek the kingdom or what exactly do we seek you know i remember i was uh, i went to bible college and bible college has this um reputation of being a place where you might meet your spouse and i guess i'm, I'm part of the stereotype because i did meet my my husband there and so sometimes um <laughs> it's like nicknamed bridal college which is kind of funny but anyways if you go to bible college it's probably like um um, yeah, that's right. Pride gets in the way, of course. Um, and not only that, not only does pride get in the way, but if you acknowledge God is true, now you have to submit to him and live in obedience to him. People don't want to do that. Um, so I was in, I was in Bible school and, um, I remember there was this guy and you know, you could just tell when someone really is like looking for a wife and he, he was... <laughs> He, he, there was this girl that he was interested in and he, like, he was dedicated. He wore, like, he wore nice clothes. He went, like, everywhere she went, he went. He found out things about her, um, you know, and, 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 like, what she liked and, like, 
bought her gifts and I mean he was pursuing her no <laughs> no Steph this was at, when I was in Bible college he was pursuing her he was seeking after her if you if you want to understand maybe like in a a, a a modern day context I suppose of seeking after it's like everything is about the person you know you're doing everything to impress them. You're all about them. You know all about them. You know what they like. You know what they don't like. You want to be with them all the time. You want to talk to them all the time. And you know, the funny thing is she ended up going out with him and it didn't last because once he got her, he stopped seeking after her. Men, let me give me some advice if you're single and if you're married too. Don't stop trying. <laughs> Once, once you land the girl, don't stop trying, you know, just anyways, this is a little bit of, of advice. Um, Sheba. <laughs> and so this guy and the relationship didn't last because it's like, he, he kind of like accomplished what he wanted. He ended up dating her and the seeking stopped, but don't worry. He went after somebody else after that. Um, so, so he, I mean, he was seeking hard after the Steph stopped. No, he was seeking hard, um, after this girl. And so when we're talking about like, oh, so how do I seek God? How do I seek after God? You make everything about God. So how do you get to know him? Well, he gave us his word. His word is here. You know, we don't have to, I wonder what God thinks. You don't have to wonder it's in his word. Are you conversing with him? Are you talking with him? For me, it's, it, it's kind of like an ongoing conversation. I'm always like some, every so often I just be, be like, God, you know, and I say stuff like that because, you know, <laughs> um, yes, Sheba, you should go to Bible college to seek God. Absolutely. But let me tell you something. I'm just being very honest. When you go, there's a thought in the back of your mind, knowing that there's going to be a large ocean of fish, lots of fish in the sea, as they say. And it's possible that you can meet someone. I didn't go there with that purpose. Because I'll be honest with you. Um, when I got there, I realized <laughs> I was very far away from home. And I didn't know how to do anything. <laughs> I was 21. I've never been away from home. And I, I was in Australia, which is, if you know the, the map of the earth, it's very far from here. Um, and I was there before... The internet was what it is now. Um, so the communication was, was little. And uh, I was like, I just want to finish this program and get out of here and go back home. So I did move to, I moved to the other side of the world. It's true. Um, <laughs> Steph, everybody knows my age. They know that later on this year, I will be turning a certain number that would be considered a milestone. So there you go. Um, and so I just wanted to get out of there. So my intention was not to find a husband. And, and, and even like what I even said to my husband, I'm like, I'm going back to Canada with or without you. So you, you choose. And he wanted to come here. He's not sure why sometimes as he's shoveling the snow and all that fun stuff. Um, that's a good advice, Steph. Don't ask a woman her age. But I have no problem saying it because I feel young. Um, anyways. So, so, you know, this guy, I'll never forget him. I don't even, he might even not, he might be still single now because it just wasn't working out for him. But he was, you seek hard after someone when everything is about them. 
You want to make them happy. You want to do stuff for them. You know, and, and it's like seeking after God. It's an ongoing thing, by the way. When we're talking about the word seek and looking in the original language, it's not a one... <laughs> oh, Sheba. You know, listen, that, that's, that's something you'd have to ask him if, he's, if the snow is better than all the really, like, poisonous, dangerous animals that they have over there. Because there's a lot of them, but, you know. Um... <laughs> Uh, Uncle Joel's the best. Oh man, you guys, uh, <laughs> uh, you guys are great as always. But tonight you're you're extra great. I love it. <laughs> oh man, Dave would say the same thing. He's like, "How did I end up in this province?" Anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, okay, let's let's get back, and we're back. Um, and it's an ongoing thing; it doesn't stop. You're, it's like an action. You're constantly seeking after God. You're constantly seeking him. And I'm going to read a story in 2 Chronicles that talks about a king who was seeking after God. And, and I, I pulled out three important points uh, from this story. So 2 Chronicles chapter 14, starting at verse 2. Asa did what it was good and right in the eyes of, of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. He built up the fortified, fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. Let us build up these towns, he said, and put walls around them. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. The first thing, what did Esau do? He removed the foreign altars and high places uh, and smash down the Asherah poles. Number one, remove sin. And I know you're thinking, well, you talked about that. that yeah, I'm going to keep talking about it. Remove sin from your life. The moment that he did that, what happened? The, the city was at peace. No one came to war with him. God gave them rest on every side because he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and he removed everything that was sin in all of the cities. He went to all of them. He made sure, agreed stuff. He made sure that all of those things were gone and destroyed. Don't entertain sin. Hate what God hates. If God hates it, we should hate it too. We don't tolerate it. Now listen, we don't hate people, right? We, we don't hate people, but we hate sin right that's a great scripture now my dad put james 4 8 draw near to god and he will come near to you that's what is what does the bible say seek god, seek him and he will be found by you he's here he's waiting you know that that girl in bible college was playing a little hard to get but but you know god god doesn't do that he's saying he's like i'm here seek after me 
So the moment that 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 Asa tore down everything that was was sinful and evil and wicked, what ended up happening? They were at peace. God gave them rest on every side. You have to, we have to hate what God hates, not people, but sin. And that's a, an important distinction because a lot of times what ends up happening is people are like, oh, you hate me. Uh, you're this, you're that. No, I don't, I don't, I love people. I want people to be saved. I want heaven to be jam packed with as many people as possible. But I hate sin because God hates sin. So, so that, that's number one. If you're taking notes, remove sin. Number two, obey God's laws. What did he do? He commanded Judah to seek the Lord and to obey his laws and commands. You know, because you might think, well, well, removing sin is, is the same as obeying. Well, you could, you could be not sinning, but then you're also not doing anything else, right? Yeah, you, not sinning is, is, is the first thing. But then there are, there are things that God's commanded us to do, right? Like when Jesus said to go out into all the world and share the gospel. You know, it's easy just to never do that. It's a great opportunity this weekend because if people, if, if unsafe people ever come to church, it's like two times a year, Easter and Christmas. I don't know why, but because they have, they have this internal, um, yeah, Steph, it is. So, so that's, that, that's sinful in of itself. Um, but I mean, like, you know, you could be a, a good, a good Christian. You never sin. You, you, you know, you don't, you don't do anything wrong, but at the same time, are you doing everything possible for the kingdom? Obey God's laws. Seek him first. Yeah, because it, it, it can become a religious exercise that all you're doing really is just like making sure, okay, well, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I'm good to go. But there's, there's more to it than that. There's obedience that comes in. Right? Because not, you know, uh, uh, um, and even there's, a, there's a, a quote that says delayed obedience is the same as disobedience. That if, if God's like, you know what, I want you to, to go into this, to do this. And you're like, okay, yeah, I will eventually. That's disobedience if you don't do it. So removing sin and obeying God's laws, obeying his commands. What did, what did Jesus, what are the commands of Jesus to do? Let me, let me say this. Is it a sin to worry? Worry is not a sin, but Jesus told you not to do it, <laughs> right? So being in obedience is saying, okay, I'm not going to worry. What's the opposite of worry? I'm going to trust. I'm going to have faith. I'm going to believe. Let's keep reading the story. Uh, let's skip down to verse 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you. There is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Yeah, well, yeah, Steph, obviously. But I'm saying like the thought of worry, right? Um, help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Number three. 
acknowledge God's power. I have to say, this was, I mean, I've read this story before, but I didn't, it didn't really click until today. That what a prayer. Are you kidding me? I want to like, I'm going to start all my prayers with, with this from, from second Chronicles 14. Lord, there is no one like you help to help the powerless against the mighty help us O lord for we rely on you and in your name we have come against this vast army all the glory was to god you know there was no point where asa was like well man my, my soldiers are strong wow we we really took down those guys no it was all the glory to god all the acknowledgement of, of god's power and let me tell you something, the situation that we're in right now, that's exactly how we should, and I'm telling you, I'm going to start my prayers like that all the time because it's incredible. Write it down. It's uh, uh, 2 Chronicles 14, uh, verse 11. Amazing. Acknowledging God's power. Th that you're the one. You're the one who's going to do it for us. You're the one that's going to rescue us. You're the one that's going to give us the victory against this situation. Believe those things. Speak those things. Why? Because it's here. That's what Asa did. And if you continue reading in the story, well, I will. Let's, let's continue reading it. The Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled and Asa and his army pursued them. Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. The enemies of, of Judah here they, could, they, they were destroyed so badly that they couldn't recover. And Asa and the people recovered all the plunder. I mean, man, that, that is, that's amazing. That's amazing, right? It says, it says early in the chapter, they were brave fighting men. They had small shields and, and small, small shields with bows. You know, they weren't some kind of like, <laughs> they weren't some kind of like, they were certainly not the, 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 uh, well, they were the underdog. Let's see, what's the opposite of underdog? I don't know. Because when he says, we have come against this vast army, there was a vast army that was coming against them. And Asa prayed, Lord, there's no one like you. Help the powerless against the mighty. And you know what's funny? You're, we're not, he didn't even realize we're not powerless when we have God on our side. Our prayers carry power. And it did because God came in and he, he, he wiped out that army, the Cushites, so much so that they couldn't recover. And the Israelites, uh, sorry, the, uh, and, the, and Judah, Esau and Judah took all the plunder. I have a question it says why do you think israel and the jews are constantly at war and pursued so much in the old testament that is a really good question um that i'm gonna have to think about and look into the answer that's a good question um yeah i'll leave it at that it's a good question um i will i will look for the answer for that although i don't even know if there is an answer um i'm not sure but the point is here, number three, acknowledging God's power, acknowledging that on our own, we can do nothing, but with God on our side, we can overcome the, the vast armies 
of enemies that might try to come against us. You know, and, and, and think about this. Asa, Asa acknowledged, and you know, and, and, and this, is, this is how I always operate. He acknowledged, yes, there was an army that was trying to come against them. He acknowledged that. But what did he do? Oh, we have no hope. We're not going to, he had set, listen to me. He had set himself up. He had set himself up by seeking God, by removing sin, by living in obedience. He set himself up for success. And then the key and the thing that pushed it over the edge was he acknowledged the power of God and says, God, this is you. This is all you. We're seeking after you. We're crying out to prayer. We're crying out in prayer to you. And now you will deliver us from this vast army. And that's, that's the key right there. Asa was set up for success. Oh, I'm going to read Auntie Jo's comment in regards to that question. I think sometimes it was due to the to their disobedience. God had told them to completely destroy enemies. So the enemies came back to haunt them. Well, absolutely. It, it, see, unfortunately, Asa, um, Asa was one of the few kings. Because it says, you know, how he, he, he did what was right. He was good and did, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That was not a common thing for among the kings of Israel. Um... And so they, a lot of times, um, probably wouldn't have had to go through all that stuff if they had been obedient, but they constantly were disobedient and ended up worse off. Um, and my dad says a Messiah was promised to Israel. Satan will continue to do everything he can to thwart God's plan of redemption. You know, God, there's, if you, if you understand Bible prophecy and, and you read through the scripture, you understand the very unique place that the Jewish people hold and that Israel holds. Um, you know, maybe that, maybe that Amir guy who comes, he might have a better insight into that than I would, but yeah, good answers. Um, so yeah, so it was like, it, it was not a common thing um, for the Kings to actually be good. Cause who do you think set up all the foreign altars and, and, and the high places and the, and the Asherah poles, the Kings that came before him. He had to tear down what had been set up. And that was part of the problem. So, so he, he, that's why he had success. Because he set himself up according to how God wanted it to be. He sought after God. So friends, you, you, we have to put ourselves in that position. Where we set ourselves up for success. That we're not powerless. That we understand, hey, we do those things. Hey. We're, we're, we're going to be okay. We don't have to worry. If Jesus told us not to worry, I'm going to listen to him. If he said, <laughs> ah, my mom makes a good point. Even some of the kings that obeyed God didn't uh, take down the high places. They stopped short. That's true. There were some that removed some of the stuff, but left some of the other stuff. You, it has to be, there has to be absolute purity and holiness in your life. If you want to receive from God, if you want to receive the promises, if you want to receive everything according to the covenant, you have to, it has to be clean. Remember when I spoke about Joshua a couple weeks ago that there was sin in the camp. Even one, 
That's right. Auntie Jo says, did evil in the sight of the Lord. I just, just in the, in the chapter before, it says that. He did evil because, listen to this. This is, um, uh, this is about King, King, the chapter, uh, Second Chronicles 12, King, King Rehoboam. It says, he did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. This, this is like, that's the word of the day. Seek, seeking the Lord, seek after him, seek where, and he shall be found. Seek first the kingdom. That's the key. Because a lot of times, and a lot of these kings, what were they seeking after? They were seeking after approval of the people. They were seeking after comfort. They were seeking after riches. They were seeking after everything else. And they weren't seeking after the Lord. And as a result, bad stuff happened to them. Right? The seeking after all these other things. And I want to read, before we go, I want to read one more story. Because again, I know we're, you know, on the topic about, you know, food and shortages and, and all that kind of thing. You just have to remember, <laughs> just remember who's on your side. And I think sometimes, I'm not saying that you guys forget, but turn to John chapter 6. <laughs> Great, one, one of my favorite stories. Verse 1, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him, because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Jesus, he's so sneaky. He said he asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. So he was basically saying to Philip, you know, oh, Philip, what are we going to do? How are we going to get food to feed these people? And Philip's all like, eight months wages would not be enough bread for each one to have a bite. So Philip, no, he missed it. He didn't get it. Um, another of his disciples, Andrew, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? So Andrew, again, he, you know, he's like, oh, here's something. But, you know, what is this going to do for everybody? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Jesus always knew what he was going to do. Jesus never, he, he asked these questions to test them to see where their faith was at. And clearly, they still didn't get it. They had just seen all the miracles that he had done and they still didn't get it. Where are we going to, you know, we can't afford bread for these people. This little boy's lunch is not going to do it. They still didn't get it. And they were with him. He said, have the people sit down. Um, I'm, I'm skipping a few just for the sake of time. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, now they get it. Healing the sick, raising dead people. It wasn't enough. Now he multiplied the, the, the little boy's lunch. Now we believe in him. <laughs> oh, man. 
And you know, this story serves as a reminder of something. God, Jesus never panicked. He wasn't like, guys, whoa, whoa, whoa. we're stuck. What are these people going to eat? They're going to starve. They came all the way here. They followed us here. We have nothing to give them. What are we going to do? You know, we don't have enough money. We don't have this. We don't have that. You know, Jesus was never concerned about what was going to happen. And so just think about if if, if, if Jesus is, is our source, our life, why, why would you ever worry about anything? Why would you ever worry about where your next meal is going to come from? There's no, I, I don't see any point throughout the scripture where any, anyone, any child of God ever went hungry. He sent manna in the wilderness. He multiplied five loaves and two fish and fed multitudes and had 12 baskets left over. That's the power of our God. That's the power of our Lord. That's the one who we serve. That's the one who answers our prayers. So don't worry. Don't, don't wonder. Don't be like, what am I going to do? You know exactly what you're going to do. That's why seek after God and all these things will be given to you as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you because you are a powerful God. You are a mighty God. You are the God who rescues us, the God who saves us, the God who delivers us, the God who defeats our enemies. Lord, we, we are careful to give you all the glory for everything that you've done. Thank you for answered prayers. Thank you for miracles that we've seen. Thank you for multiplication. And in the same way that Jesus multiplied that little boy's lunch, so we too will see multiplication in people, in, 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 in resources, that we're never going to go without, that we will be people who meet the needs of others, that we are not in need, we meet need. So Father, I pray that you, we would always remember, first and foremost, seeking after you, obeying you, removing everything that doesn't belong, everything that's contaminated, that we would take it out and seek you only and serve you only and always give you glory and honor for the great things that you've done, for the great way that you've been with us. Father, I pray for every single person today that if there's even the little slightest thing that's, that's, that's a, a concern or a worry that you would remind them from your word that we never have to worry or wonder, that we never have to be afraid, that there's no area of concern that you're not aware of, that you know what we need, you know how much we need. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for your greatness. I thank you for your might. I thank you for your power. Father, I thank you that even a small amount of people filled with faith can make a change in this nation that we live in because we have you on our side. Thank you, Lord. Thank you in advance for the great victory because the victory has already been won. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.